Well, good morning. We are honored to have you with us. And we've been talking a lot about John 6 and the Eucharistic discourse, uh, rightfully so. And um, you've heard me say before that the body, need, we are body and soul. The body needs food, and so does the soul. That's the Eucharist. Now, I will add to that, the body needs sleep, too. So sleep and food for the body, we are, we are, both a compo- we are composite of both. And food for the soul. Now, what's interesting here, as Jesus keeps going, is we are situated here in John 6, a full year before the Last Supper. This is happening a year before the Last Supper, where Jesus promised to give the Eucharist. This is John 6. I personally think the most important passages in the Bible. Now, he says we must eat his body and drink his blood. We've heard this, but let's think about it. Because you've heard me say before, the verb in Greek, because the scriptures were written in Greek, is tragon or trago, which literally means to chew, which now is the first time it says it. Now, up until... John 6, verse 54, that is Jesus coming and saying he's the bread of life and you must eat this bread. The verb that was used was a metaphor in every other place. Estheo. Now, the Greek says to literally eat, not figuratively. So Jesus demands that we express our faith by eating in a real physical way, then we shall live just like our bodies. You know, many in Europe, especially Father Joe's in Rome, and I've been to Rome once, and uh, we were on a pilgrimage, and I had my collar on, and I, the group was stopping to eat, so I decided I wanted to run into one of the beautiful local parishes, And so I went into the church and there was this woman standing. It was like a movie counter. They had the ropes and she says, that'll be three euros. I said, oh, I don't have three euros on me. I just want to pray. Can I come in to pray? It was a church. I said, oh, is the church closed? She, She spoke English and she said, no, but it'll be three euros and please don't stay. Just come in walk through, take any pictures that you want, and exit off to the side. I was like, what? This isn't a museum. This is a church. So I remember, I didn't say anything. I just went in, said a quick prayer, and left. But I remember thinking, whoa, these churches aren't just pretty museums. They are something more. Jesus said that we must have him within us. We must partake of him, not just gaze upon him, not just look at a faith from a distance, but we must take it in. Faith in Jesus is not just admiring him. He was a good man. Faith is eating the bread of life. It's not just admiring a church for its beauty, that it's a museum and taking pictures. You go into the church And you give of yourself in worship. And now he's saying this with food. Really, Father? Yes. Seeing a loaf of bread on a plate will not satisfy your hunger, no matter how good it smells. 
knowing the ingredients of the bread will not satisfy your hunger. Taking pictures of the bread, like people were doing in the churches, will not satisfy your hunger. Telling other people about the bread, did you see that beautiful museum, the church, will not satisfy your hunger. Nothing will satisfy our hunger and bring us life except eating the bread. You know, when I was a novice, I was working, or a, uh, it was a novice, yeah, I was up here at Stockbridge, and we had work duty, and I was down in the Lord's Grotto, um, cleaning up down in the Lord's Grotto, and I didn't have a chance to eat lunch, and I got to dinner, and I hadn't eaten all day, and I was starving. And so, yeah, I probably put too much food on my plate, and God rest his soul, Father Martin was there, and he was a very humble, very quiet man. He very didn't speak much publicly at all. He was a very recollected, very saintly man. And I don't think he'd ever really said too much to me. And I'm there in the line and I have my plate of food and he looks at me and there was a lot of food. And he goes, I'm getting full just looking at your plate. (laughs) And I remember thinking, Father, I was working all day. I didn't have a chance to eat. But I remember that's the example that we're talking about, because I remember thinking, Father, you can't get full from looking at my plate. This is the example Jesus is telling us. Now, why is it so important? Why is this Eucharist, this bread of life, so important? All right. In the flesh of Jesus, in his very flesh, this is the uniting of the spiritual and the human realms. You have the divine, the spiritual realm, and the physical, the human realm have now physically united in the hypostatic union. This is amazing. This is why a sacrament, you've heard me say before, what makes us our Catholic Church different than any other Christian or religion in the world is the sacraments. Because they, are, they have something. That is both physical and spiritual, just like Jesus. They're physical, it's bread and wine, or at least it used to be. It's spiritual, now it's body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. The reality brings grace. The physical reality brings spiritual grace. In the sacraments, you have the spiritual united life with the physical, just like Jesus' flesh was the physical united with the spiritual. This is why it's important. Under the appearance of bread and wine, Jesus is contained, offered, and received. That's what you need to do to get to human or to eternal life. Jesus is offered and you need to receive. Eating is always an act of reception. Eating always is. So is having faith. It is receiving. And so, therefore, communion is an act of faith. If eating is a receiving, faith is receiving, holy communion is therefore an act of faith. Because you're eating and you're receiving. You don't have to do something All you have to do is receive. You don't have to go and and be 
this absolutely, you know, I, it's up to me. It depends on me. It's my work. No, you just receive. That's all Jesus is telling us here. All Christians believed in the real presence until the Reformation. All of them. Christ could not have been more clear or explicit in the words we just read. This is my body. We will say it in the mass. He didn't say this is a sign of my body. He didn't say this represents my body. Christ gave his priest the power despite our brokenness, despite our, our, our failures, Christ gave his priests the power, not because it comes from them, it comes from Jesus. He delegated it to them to change that bread and wine into his body and blood. Why? How? All right. He made the apostles priests. There's one key word. What is the key word that you've probably heard a thousand times? And you probably thought, oh, it's a reenactment. Do this in memory of me. That one sentence next to Christ's words on the cross is the most important sentence maybe ever uttered in human history. And we don't even think about it sometimes. Do this in memory of me. Well, Father, that just means you're, re you're reenacting it. No, it doesn't. Catechism, 1341. The command of Jesus to repeat his actions does not only ask us to remember Jesus and what he did, it is directed at the liturgical celebration by the apostles and their successors. Now, here's what I tried to teach my seventh grade catechism. Now, what do they say? You, you, you throw a bunch of things at the wall and you hope something sticks. And so I was trying to teach my seventh grade catechism about this deeper meaning. And I know it was probably a little bit above them, but one young boy came up. I'm like, there's our next priest. Because in the words, remembrance, we go back to the Greek. The Bible was written in Greek. Anamnesis. Now I'm going to give you a big word here. See if you can do as well as my seventh grader. Okay. Anamnesis. As this. The word remembrance, this anamnesis, as Christ uses it, does not mean to remember the past. So do this in memory of me. Does not mean remember the past. Why? The remembrance of Christ, of his passion, death, and resurrection is used in the same ways the Jews used it. The Jews, Jesus was Jewish, the apostles were Jewish, and they used it as the way the Jewish people used it when celebrating the Passover. Do you know they use the word remembrance in the Passover? It is not simply remembering and celebrating or representing an act of the past, but it actually entails making the event real and present at the current moment. This is incredible. 
so that we can enter into and share in the Paschal mystery. In other words, you are in the upper room. I've said a couple times before, but it's worth reiterating. When we come to Mass, we're not just sitting in a pew 2,000 years later talking about something that happened 2,000 years ago. You are actually there present as Christ is in the upper room, the priest is in the person of Jesus in persona Christi, despite his brokenness. And you are there. That's what amnesis means in remembrance of me is to make present and real this event and bring it now where you participate in it. Pope Benedict in Spirit of the Liturgy said, when you come into Mass, the roof of the church opens up and heaven and earth ascend and descend and the uniting of, of heaven and earth, the angels and the saints and us, mankind, like no other time, like no other place in this world. And so we are present in the upper room as Jesus is making the sacrifice or preparation. Then you are present at Calvary as Jesus is paying the ultimate sacrifice, the sacrifice or the penalty for sin is death. Christ is paying it and you are there. This is amazing to me. So in my uh, seminary courses, we got into Christology and there's a great priest, a friend of mine, Father Spitzer. If you've ever heard him talk about Jesus collapsing time in the upper room, it's fascinating. I wish I could explain it as well as he does, but I'll give it a try here. At Mass, consecration of bread and wine is done separately. Why? It represents the separation of the blood and the body, the body and the blood at Calvary. There was a separation. Blood was shed. So blood and the wine were separated at Calvary. Now, however, Jesus can't die anymore. He's resurrected. So his body and blood now remain united. And his soul unites to both. This is why the priest puts the host back in the chalice. It's uniting his body and blood back together. His divinity always remains united to his humanity. Now, we say in the Eucharist, you receive Jesus' body, blood, soul, and divinity. What is human? What is divine? Body, blood, and soul is his humanity. Divinity is his God. They come together in that Eucharist. You receive him body, blood, and soul. That's known in his humanity and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ as God. His soul unites to both. His divinity always remains united to his body, blood, and his soul, because he is God-made man. This is the whole meaning of the scriptures. So the communicant, you, receives the fullness in either species. I know people have written to me, they're very upset that they feel they're being cheated, that they can't receive the precious blood. Yes, we hope to be able to give both species, but you're not being cheated. In the host is the body, blood, soul, and divinity. And in the precious blood is the body, blood, soul, and divinity. You're not being cheated. You receive both, whole and entire. And the mass 
is this. It starts with him being sacrificed. The body and blood is separated, but then it's reunited when he is glorified in his resurrection. So here's where I want to end. People accuse us of cannibalism. The Jews accuse Jesus of cannibalism. Now, in the Eucharist, we don't receive Jesus' flesh as he was walking on earth. The actual veins and the blood that, 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 that was in the mortal sense, in his mortal flesh, as it was in his earthly ministry, were not cannibals. We are receiving him in his glorified state. Now his body and blood have been reunited. It's been resurrected. It's been glorified. And in his body and blood, this is what we receive in the Eucharist. It is his body and blood in his glorified humanity. So it still is really flesh, really blood, but glorified after he rose from the dead. This is why Jesus keeps saying it's the living bread. Amazing. And the last thing I wanted to share with you that I learned in seminary is it goes back to the Jews. Jesus chose to institute the Eucharist during Passover. Do you ever think about why? Hmm. Instead of a lamb being eaten as it was at Passover, he becomes the unblemished lamb that must be eaten. And remember, if the sacrificed lamb of Passover was not eaten, the sacrifice was invalid. Now we too are to eat the true Paschal lamb, Jesus, in the sacrifice. Now we have a new Passover. What was Passover to the Jews? When the angel of death went to the house, if he saw blood over the doorposts, he would pass over that house. Now we have a new Passover. Jesus passing over to his father by his death and resurrection. By his death and then resurrecting and ascension, Jesus is passing over to the Father. This fulfills the Jewish Passover. And guess what? This is what I learned in seminary. I want to share with you. It anticipates the final Passover of the church of God. Our church. The mass... You've heard me say this, is the groom, Jesus, coming for his bride, the church, us. And guess what? To pass you over to the other side. And when does that happen? On the eighth day. Why? As Father Seraphim taught, seven was the perfect number in time and creation, but eight to the Jews represented eternity. So the final Passover will be the church passing over to God. The Passover of the church. And it happens on the eighth day. Eight represents eternity. In eternity, we the church will pass over to God. Just like it started with the angel passing over the house, then Jesus passing over to the Father, then in final uh, end of humanity, the church will pass over to God. And when does it happen? On the eighth day. And what is the eighth day? Divine Mercy Sunday. This all fits together. Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever.
Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily Masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit DivineMercyPlus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's DivineMercyPlus.org Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily Masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.